morning. Welcome to Mission View Church. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. So glad you're with us for worship this morning. If this is your first time here, just a special welcome to you. Glad you joined us. If you're joining online, welcome as well. We are uh, finishing up a sermon series we've been going through for the last few weeks called Stand Your Ground. And we've been looking at the life of Jesus and how he stood his ground up against tons of opposition. And today's text, as we look at the account of what Jesus had to deal with, we are seeing the culmination of this progressive and constant attack from religious leaders. And actually some of those that are closest to him today, we're going to see that just as well. But um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 22 through 35 today. You guys ever heard of the point of no return when they talk about airplanes, things like this. It's the point of no return is a point in the flight of an aircraft where the remaining fuel will be insufficient for a return to the starting point, meaning that you've got to keep on going. It's, it's you've gone so far that you cannot turn around. It's the point of no return. Today, as Jesus deals with the Pharisees in this you know, attack, this constant attack, uh, he warns them that they are appro- approaching the point of no return. They're saying things, accusing him of things, and he's saying, all right, here's the line in the sand, guys. This is the line in the sand uh, where if you cross this line, it's a point of no return. He's He's gonna lay down the law a little bit with the Pharisees, and it's kind of that, it's been coming. We've seen it over the last, I think we've been in this like six weeks. We've seen it. It's coming, and, and today he's going to lay it out for him. So it's the point of no return. Let's pray before we jump into God's word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Even now, Father, we submit to your authority. We come under your authority, Father. We pray that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts to receive the truths of your word. We say, come and have your way in us. We would walk out of here a different person than we walked in because we've met with our creator. We surrender to you, Father. I pray that you would use me this morning, Father. Give me the words to share for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, four more weeks, four more weeks before we move into the new building. Not that I'm counting down or anything. But um, if you didn't know uh, or not, we have a new building we'll be moving into in four weeks. It's on Maple Street right by Price Park. Um, Today, we're inviting anyone who would like to come right after church from 12 to 1.30. We're going to be doing a building blessing. If you'd like to come by and see the new facility, you're welcome to. You can walk through. But we're going to be going through the building, praying over the building. Uh, There's some markers there. If you'd like to write your prayers on the foundation of the building or scripture on the foundation of the building, we encourage you and invite you to do that. That's today from 12 to 1.30. So I wanted to let you know about that. That's going to be really exciting. So if you've never seen it, there'll be staff there available to take you through the building and show you and give you a a nice tour so you know what it looks like uh, for when we move in in just a few weeks. So that's really exciting. So, all right, let's pick it up here in verse 22. Mark chapter 3, it says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub. Beelzebub. Now, that's different than Beelzebub. They, this is kind of a slang term they're using towards Jesus. This is, this is actually 
a horrible word they're using towards Jesus. This could be translated um, Lord of the dung pile, Lord of the flies. It's where, it's where we, the word we get from Lord of the flies. So they are slinging um, bad terms at Jesus. And this is something that had been going on for a long time. So it's like saying he's Lord of the poo, right? Not a nice thing to say about someone. So Jesus is going around and he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Give your life to the Lord. This is, this is his, his sermon that he gives everywhere he goes. He is healing people all over the place. The crowds are so vast that they, his life is actually in danger. And he tells his disciples at points in time that, hey, we're going to go and to the, the side of the sea. So go ahead and get a boat for me because, you know, there's so many people. I could be crushed. So get the boat so I can go out on the boat. So there's this, this chaos that has ensued because of the miracles that Jesus is performing. So many different healings. Everyone wants to hear what he has to say. Everyone wants to see the miraculous works that he's doing. And many want to receive a healing. And they're, they're just massing around him. So all of that's going on. And while all that's going on, you have these religious leaders, these scribes and Pharisees and the Sanhedrin coming around and, and accusing him and calling him names. And all of this is going on. It's just been complete and utter chaos. So here's this, this horrible term that they're using for Jesus. And Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons, they say. And he called them to him. He hears this. Obviously, he's heard it over and over again. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Now, the first thing I, I kind of want to draw our attention to here in this text is a house divided cannot stand. A house divided cannot stand. If you if you got a bulletin as you're walking in, you can follow along and, and fill in the notes. This first fill-in is what I just shared with you. A house divided cannot stand. Jesus is stating a principle here, some, something that the Pharisees and Sadducees had probably heard multiple times. This this principle, but this principle transcends this account. He's making the point that Satan will not work against Satan. This, this really, as he said this common phrase to them, this would have been a verbal slap to the face, really. The foolishness of what the Pharisees and scribes were accusing Jesus of was right there on display for everyone to see. Jesus makes it plain and clear that he is doing the work of God the Father, not Satan. He's doing his Father's work. But the principle that he's sharing remains the same for us today. We as a church must remain unified. We are unified. What is the thing that really unifies us as a church? We are unified around the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, that God sent his only son to live a perfect life and then die a sinner's death for you and me. He died on the cross, but then three days later defeated death and sin for us. He ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of God the Father, preparing a place for you and me. 
He is our great advocate, the Bible says. Intercessor for, for us. But Jesus was all about this gospel, this good news. What I shared that what he was preaching was the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent, turn from your sins. The time is now. And before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave the church, he gave us our, our marching orders, those, those last things. And we find it in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And this is what unifies us as a church mission view. And, and even beyond that, it unifies the church today. Not just mission view, but how many of you were here last weekend for Pastor Tom Hogshead's sermon? Just amazing sermon. Pastor Tom is the lead pastor of Summit Church, which is right down the road from us. Um, they are a friend church to us. We do multiple service things with them and partner with them in many different ministry ways. And so glad that he came and preached for us last week. It was an awesome sermon. Timely. I think it was a timely sermon for us. But we're about the kingdom of God. We're not about Mission View's kingdom or the Summit Church's kingdom. We're about the kingdom of God. And this unifying thing that draws all of us together, all gospel-centered churches, all Bible-believing churches, is the great commission that we find here in Matthew 18. And it says this, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our mission is given to us by our Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, go and make disciples. Our mission simply said here at Mission View Church is make disciples. We have one job to do. You have one job, and it's make disciples. Now, there's a lot to that, right? Making disciples, it's not just going out and making disciples like you would make a sugar cookie or something, right? There's a lot to that. Our mission given to us is to, by Jesus is make disciples. And this this process, this work that God has set out for us to do, we find the definition of what a disciple is in this text. Disciples are people who are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then they're taught to observe all that Jesus commanded. Now, that in and of itself is a huge thing. We make disciples by sharing God's Word on Sunday mornings. We make disciples by gathering together throughout the week in community groups and doing life together. We make disciples by going out to our jobs Mondays through Fridays and living out the Christian life, being an example to our coworkers. We make disciples by raising our children in the word of God and sharing the gospel with our kids as they grow up. We make disciples by having relationships with other people in our family and extended family and sharing the gospel with those who don't know. We make disciples by talking to our neighbors about the gospel and sharing Christ with them. We make disciples by the way that we live and living out the example that, that God has set for us in his word. Making disciples, there's, there is so much that goes in that and so many opportunities that God gives us to make disciples disciples, but they are people that hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, and want to surrender their life to Jesus, following him in baptism, and then obeying his commands. I, I know that our world 
needs the gospel. Our world needs Jesus. So many people are out there living their lives, doing what they want, trying to find happiness. Have you ever ever heard that? Somebody says, I just want to be happy. I just, I just want to be happy. And so they, they go for the job with a huge paycheck. Or they, they go to the entertainment that, that brings them the most happiness. Or they go to the drug that gives them the most joy. And all of these things, it, no matter what it is, whether it be money, whether it be power, whether it be entertainment, whether it be drugs or some type of thing that lets them se- separate themselves from reality or whatever it may be, and all of those things leave them desperate and wanting. We see it over and over again in our society. The wealthy and the rich pursuing happiness and ending up drug-addicted and suicidal. It's because we were created, every human being is created with a God-shaped void inside of them that only Christ can fulfill. And, And we try and fill that void with so many different things, money, power, sex, entertainment, name it, you just name it, and we try and fill that God-shaped void with it. But Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have what the world is desperate for. And I don't know if you remember or not before you met Christ, but you were doing the same thing. And God, in his love and mercy, grabbed you out of it. And he said, you know what? I am what you need. And it's that amazing grace, that mercy that God lavishes on us because of his great love that we find true and lasting fulfillment and satisfaction and a joy that goes way beyond any temporary happiness that this world has to offer. Jesus gave us the great commission to unify us as a church, but to set us on that mission to share the gospel and the good news with people who don't even know that's what they need. When we receive the gospel, our life is then set forth on mission with the gospel. And that's what Jesus has given us. And that's what unifies us as a church. We're sitting here today, Sunday morning, and many people are watching online, members and attenders of Mission View Church, and we are unified around this mission. Our mission, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey the things that Christ has given us through his word. But we are further unified by a vision that God has set before us. At Mission View Church, God has set before this vision to reach 200,000 people with the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the love of God. We're to reach 200,000 people. Now that 200,000 number is not some arbitrary number we're just like, you know, spun a dial and 200,000 came up. You know, as we were praying about North Canton, we did some research. I did some research on the spirituality of, of people in Stark County, your average Stark Countyan. And as I was doing my research, of the 800,000 or so people in Stark County and the surrounding municipalities, 
200,000 people right here around us claim no religious affiliation whatsoever. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That's what the Bible says. 200,000 people right here, Stark County, surrounding municipalities, have no religious affiliation whatsoever. What an opportunity that we have. We want to reach the 200,000 with God's love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it goes far beyond Stark County in these surrounding municipalities. We're partnering with missionaries all over the world like we prayed for our missionaries in Israel today. Tajikistan, Turkey, I mean all over the place. We, are, we want the gospel and the love of God going forth, not just here, but everywhere, all over the world. We are unified under the mission of making disciples. We're unified under the vision of reaching the 200,000. You know, I say 200,000, and you're like, wow, that's a big number, right? That's, a, that's, that's way big. You know what I call that kind of number? I call that a God-sized number. And here's why we picked that number, too. Because we know what God calls us to do, we cannot do in and of our own power and strength. When, we are, when it's all said and done and we look back at the things, the mission and the vision that God has set before us, we're not going to look back and then pat ourselves on the back and say, oh man, we did a good job. We are awesome. Mission View Church, woohoo! Reaching the 200,000, we're awesome. We are amazing. No. No, we want to look back at things when it's all said and done and say, only God could have done that. When we say God-sized number, that's what we're getting at. 200,000 is a God-sized number, and only he can do that. And he will do that through us, Lord willing. And I think he's willing. So we are unified by this mission that Jesus has set before us. We are unified by this vision that God has set before us, that we would do what he's called us to do. Now, what kind of, what sustains this and, and glues this mission and vision together? I, I say it this way, it's our purpose. We have the great commission, that's our mission. We have vision that God has set before us. And then we have the great commandment, which is love God and love others. That's our purpose. That's what we were created for. Love God and love others. And it's actually in that order that he says it. Because we can't truly and rightly love others unless we love God. See, the more we love God, the more that we pour out our lives for him and worship him with our every day, the better we are at loving others the better. I always tell people, you know, I'm only as good a husband as I am a son of God. I'm only as good a father as I am a son. It's that relationship with God that, that fuels and motivates and glues together who we are as a person, but then even beyond that, it glues together who we are as a church. So the fuel, the motivation, the glue for our mission and vision is our purpose that God created us and it's the great commandment in Scripture, loving God and loving others. This is what unifies us. And it's the principle that Jesus lays out. A house divided cannot stand. But a house unified and built on Christ will stand. And God calls us to that kind of unity. Let's move on to verse 27. It says, But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. 
Now, I underlined this next part. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. I just wanted us to stop here for a second, and it's the next fill-in in our notes. I think it's worth noting here. This is awesome. And the fill-in is this. Forgiveness is available to all who repent. Forgiveness is available. I love how Jesus says this. Truly I say to you, this, this truly I say to you statement is something we always have to watch out for. Something, when you hear Jesus say it, it's like he's saying, okay, hold on, hold on, stop everything. Listen to me right here. Follow me. Are you with me? Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. Jesus says that there is forgiveness available for you. And he doesn't say forgiveness is available for some things. Forgiveness is available for white lies, but not the big ones. He doesn't say forgiveness is available for people who live in southern Ohio, but not northern Ohio. No, he says all sins will be forgiven. Jesus says that if you turn to him, if you give your life to him, all of your sins, if you put your trust in the work of Jesus Christ, that perfect life that you and I can't live, in that sinner's death that you and I deserve, if you trust in Christ for that, there is forgiveness for you. That is really, really, really good news. Can I get an amen on that one? I know you guys don't need forgiven because you're all perfect. I get it. You know, we're at Mission View. No. No, we all need forgiven, don't we? All of us need forgiveness. And, and God offers that through his son, Jesus. What an amazing gift. I love that he puts that right here. You know, he just says, he like, says to these Pharisees, these guys who are like slamming him and calling him in names, you know, all this. He just says, there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness for you. That's the good news. And there's so, so oftentimes I talk to people who are seeking out Christianity, seeking out spirituality. And they say, once I get my life together, once I, once I clean everything up, once I quit smoking, once I stop drinking, you know, once I get out of this real bad relationship that I'm in, I might show up to church. And I'm like, no, no, that's not, that's not how Christianity works. Like Jesus came for broken people. Like it's the mess that you're in. Like I know you're saying you're going to clean it up yourself, but you cleaning it up is really what got you where you are. And, and Jesus is the only one who can rebuild our lives from the ground up. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? That's a rhetorical question. It, it means that only God knows our hearts. Only God can change our hearts. And the root problem in all of the mess that we get ourselves in isn't the things we do. It's our hearts because the heart determines what I do, what I love, what I worship. And only God, the creator who made your heart, is powerful enough and big enough to change your heart. So don't wait to get your life back together to come to church. Don't wait to get your life back together, quit smoking or in that relationship or whatever it may be to give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus now. He's the one who changes your life. And Jesus is saying in the midst of the chaos that he's in and all this other stuff, there is forgiveness for you. 
I mean, just an amazing, amazing statement in the midst of what Jesus is going through. There's forgiveness for you. He goes on, though, and he says, but, ever, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. Now, this text has caused all kinds of problems over the centuries. People struggle with this so much. So I'm going to try and bring as much clarity today to this text as we can. He says, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. All right, let me give you a little bit more context as this is going on. Jesus' family has just said, man, Jesus has been ministering to people 24-7. This is crazy. He hasn't eaten anything. And we need to go and pull him out of the crowds, pull him out of the chaos. Man, he is out of his mind. His family is calling him out of his mind. The Pharisees are calling him Satan-possessed or Lord of the Flies. So you have all this mess going on. And Jesus starts to just lay out this powerful truth and draw a line in the sand for the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin and the scribes. There is a sin. They are about to commit or are committing that is unforgivable. Unforgivable. It is an eternal sin. So what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? This is important. The verb in verses 22 and 30, they were saying, is the imperfect tense. Now, that means they were continually saying. They were consistently hurling this slur at Jesus, trying to destroy his reputation. With a hardened heart, they looked, now get this, they looked at the supremely good one and called him the supremely evil one. It was a persistent rejection of and declaration against what the Spirit of God is doing in and through Jesus. Let me say that again. It is a persistent rejection of and declaration against what the Spirit of God is doing in and through Jesus. Jesus was bringing a new covenant of grace to the world. He was bringing forgiveness, this repentance of sin, eternal life, when you put your trust in Jesus. It's by grace through faith in Christ that we are saved. They were coming up against what Jesus was bringing and saying it was satanic. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is calling the work of God through Christ satanic. It is calling the salvific work of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who reveals Christ as Savior. It's calling that salvific work of the Holy Spirit satanic. It is looking at the goodness of God, the gospel of Jesus, knowing it to be true, understanding its power and righteousness, and hating it so much that you attribute it to Satan and his demons. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They had heard Jesus preach in the flesh. They had watched Jesus heal the sick, cast out demons. They were eyewitnesses to the very Son of God doing what only the Son of God could do. And they're looking at that amazing work and the life transformations all around them. And they were so prideful and they were so protective of their own little kingdoms that they were lording over all of God's people that they wanted to kill Jesus. Jesus. 
That's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Let's dive deeper into it because we have in the Synoptic Gospels these other accounts of the same thing. Let's look at Matthew 12 where we have the same account, but Matthew gives us a little bit more of what Jesus said. In Matthew 12, 31 and 32, God's word says this, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Now get this, here's where Matthew gives us a little bit more. He says, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So they could speak against the Son. That, isn't that crazy? You could, you could blaspheme the Son, not that you should or would, but he's saying there's a difference, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The scribes claim he is Beelzebul. In him, Satan is doing his work. It is a blatant disregard for God's kindness, grace, goodness, mercy, holiness, everything that Christ embodied. He says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. The Pharisees here had been shown this goodness of God through Jesus. And they still turn their back. It's attributing the salvific work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. Attributing that to Satan and his demons. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. With this biblical understanding of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we can answer some really difficult questions that many of us have and many people have dealt with over the centuries. The first one is this. Can a Christian commit the unpardonable sin? That's what they call this. Can a Christian commit the unpardonable sin? Quick answer, easy answer, no. No, a Christian cannot commit the unpardonable sin. The only unpardonable sin today is that of continued, continued unbelief. There is no pardon for a person who dies in his rejection, his or her rejection of Christ. That's the only way we could commit that sin. So if you're worried, you're sitting here, you're a Christian, you're worried, oh my gosh, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? If you're worried about that, you probably have not committed that sin. You haven't committed that sin. God, now this is, this is important, God in his sovereignty and power and with great grace and mercy withholds the ability of his chosen people to commit this sin. That is that is the grace and mercy of God. This blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a hardness of heart that is sustained to the grave. And when God changes our hearts, it says that he takes out a heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. Christians cannot commit this sin. Let's move on to verse 31. He goes on, he says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Then he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my, my brother and sister and mother. Jesus was pointing out that the Christian life is a life of obedient sacrifice. That's the fourth film, last film in your notes today. The Christian life is a life of obedient sacrifice. After talking about this 
unforgivable sin, which I'm sure was shocking to everyone, drawing the line in the sand, saying, this is the point of no return, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, and Sanhedrin. You can't attribute the work of the Holy Spirit in Christ for salvation to Satan. This is who my family is. This is who is in the family. Those who live a life of obedient sacrifice. Those who are in his family do his work. They are about his business. They're sharing the gospel, serving the poor, caring for the widow and orphan, being the church that he's called us to be. Here's, here's one thing really clear. Jesus is not saying abandon your family. That is not what he's saying. That is not what he's saying at all. In fact, Jesus spent 33 years on planet earth. Of those 33 years, 30 of those years were spent with his family alone. And we can um, really learn from scripture that his dad, Joseph, probably passed away early on in Jesus's life, which would have put Jesus as head of responsibility for his family, provider for his family. And we kind of see that continued through because at the crucifixion, before he passed away, Jesus looked down and said, hey, take care of my, my mother. 30 years. So he's not saying abandon your family. He's saying you are being grafted in to a new family and another family. It's not that you're, you don't have your earthly family, brothers, sisters, mother, father. He's saying that now you, have, you are being grafted into this new family. So it's not an abandonment of responsibility of our family, but Jesus is pointing out that we're adopted into a new family as well. We are in a growing family. We now have new brothers, sisters, elders, and children, and we have these expanded responsibilities in God's family with eternal rewards. What are these new responsibilities, right? So we have our families. It's, it's easy kind of when we're responsible for our kids and we have our spouse, you know, that's it's kind of laid out for us. And to say, what does this new family responsibilities, what do these new things look like? We, we kind of talk about it this way. We talk about three things, time, talents, and treasures. We have a responsibility with our time, our talents, and our treasures. And when I, when I try and measure these things um, in my life, I like to prioritize. You know, I think it makes it a little easier to gauge how I'm doing with these different things, but I, I need to prioritize these things. And, and God kind of lays out priorities for us in his word that our number one priority is our relationship with the Lord. Our second re responsibility is if we're married, it's to our spouse, if we have kids, to our kids. And then we would have responsibilities to work provide those kinds of things. So I have it like, for me, it's God's spouse, kids work. You know, that's how God laid those things out. So how am I doing in that priority list with my time, my talents, and my treasures? The first thing is our time. This is our lives, our focus, and our thoughts. What do we do with our time? What are you doing with your time? You know, every single one of us has a limited time here on earth. God knows every second of your life. The Bible says that we are sustained, that every breath we breathe is sustained by God. He knows when he's going to take us home. And we have a responsibility to steward the time that he's given us here on planet earth. Are we, are we taking those priorities in the right order and serving God first with our time? What does that look like? I mean, there's so many things that fight for our time, right? 
Netflix, Instagram, Facebook. The fa- we call it the Facebook hole. You fall in? You fall in the Facebook hole? Next thing you, you look down at your, your phone, it's 3 o'clock. The next thing you know, it's 7. You're like, oh, where'd those four hours go? Just me? Is it just me? Oh, you're guilty because it's quiet. Right? You know, the, the Facebook hole, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Netflix, you name it. There's a plethora of things and people vying for our time and attention. So where are we spending our time? These are hard questions that we have to ask ourselves. I've got on my phone, my iPad, I've got this thing. It's, I forget what it's called, but it warns me when I spend so much time. It's like, it, goes, it tells you your uh, screen time. It's called screen time. Don't turn it on. You'll be so mad. You're like, man, I spent, that was 15 minutes? I was not playing, you know, it'll tell you how much time you spend on your digital device, right? As I'm preaching from my iPad, you know, it's telling me I have a screen time on my screen time here in the sermon. No, but we need, to, we need to take a real look at what has our time. Where are we investing our time? And I'll just say it, this is the most valuable thing you have. You can look at retirement accounts, finances, treasures, and talents that God's given you, this is the most powerful and important thing God has given you. Every minute, every day, you have an opportunity to serve and glorify God. What are we doing with our time? And we need to answer that question honestly. And then call our spouse to hold us accountable. Call your best friend to hold you accountable. Call your parents, whoever it may be, and say, listen, you know, let's get together once every two weeks or so and Ask me these three questions, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer you honestly, and then we're going to pray together. Second one is talents, time, then talents. These are the gifts God has given us to use for the church. You are not here by accident. You didn't just show up to Mission View Church and find it as a church home by happenstance. God has brought you here for a purpose with his purpose. He has gifted you for Mission View Church. Every single one of God's children has been gifted by our Creator. And as we did a study through 1 Corinthians, we found out very clearly that the gifts that God has given us, these talents that God has given us, are not for us. They're for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see it all throughout the New Testament, this idea of one another's. And, and it, the, one of my favorite one another's is it says, gather together and stir one another up to love and good works. That we're, we're, we have this relationship that God has given these talents to, as like the worship band leads us in worship. It's stirring up our spirits to love and good works. That we would love the Lord and, and serve him and glorify him and, and help and serve his church. That we have a responsibility. God brought you here on purpose for his purpose. What is that? What is that? And we, are, we are so excited. We, we sit in our offices and we talk together for hours and hours and strategize how we can help you use your gifts for God's kingdom. That's like one of me and Joe's and Andrew's favorite things to do as pastors is gather together and say, all right, how can we do this? How can we challenge our church? How can we give them the resources? How can we help them find out what their talents are and everything else? We found this amazing tool we're going to be launching here pretty soon. I totally forget what it's called, but it's really great. But it's a spiritual gifts test. I know, I know. It's a spiritual gifts test that ties into our database. And you'll be able to get online on our website, take a spiritual gifts test, and eventually we're going to add a personality test onto it. You'll be able to take these tests, and it's going to tell you what your spiritual gifts are. Now get this. And then it's going to give you different options to serve in the church. 
It'll align your gifts with different areas of the church. We, it's just this mind-blowing tool, man, that, you know, as a pastor for the last 20, 20 years or so, that, you know, we, if I would have had this 15 years ago, I see you're laughing at me, Brian. We're the same age. But anyways, if we had had these kinds of tools, it's amazing thing. So we're going to be launching that pretty soon. Joe and Caitlin have been working behind the scenes on this and really trying to get it curtailed for our website and our database. So we're excited for that. So be looking for that soon. We'll let you know as soon as it's available. So, but using our gifts, using our gifts as God has called us to, these talents that God has given us, it's a win-win. It is a win-win. And if you're not using your gifts, it is a lose-lose. Because when we use our gifts for the kingdom, the church is blessed and we grow. God changes us and grows us as we serve him and use the gifts that he's given us. And our brothers and sisters in Christ are edified and challenged and grown as well. It is a win-win. If you're not using your gifts, it's a lose-lose. Because you are not growing. You are sitting on the very gifts that God's given you to steward for his kingdom. And the church is not benefiting from the gifts that he's given for the church. It's a lose-lose. So you can lose-lose or you can win-win. God wants us to use the gifts he's given us, the talents that he's given us. The last one is treasures. This is the financial blessing God has entrusted you with. The financial blessing God has entrusted you. The money we have been given is not our own. The money we have been given is not our own. Jesus was questioned about money one time, and he said, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto the Lord what is the Lord's. What is the Lord's? Everything. Everything. And I always tell people, God doesn't want your money. He wants what your money has. And so oftentimes, our money has our heart. God is after our heart. And we get a real clear picture of it in Scripture where it says, God loves a cheerful giver. He says, he says, each person should determine on their own with the Lord what they should give, that they would be a cheerful giver. So I, I tell people, give as much as you can. I think it was John Wesley who said, work as, as hard as you can, save as much as you can, and give as much as you can. That there's, there's a... The idea of generosity all through the sacrificial generosity all through the New Testament. As the church was being started, you know, it says that everyone gave everything that they had and those who needed received and those who had gave. And it was this beautiful picture of sacrificial giving. And that's what God calls us to in this New Testament church, that we would be sacrificially giving because we know that every penny that we have is in mine. It is his. And let me just say again, God doesn't need your money. God, I don't know if you know this or not, but God's bank accounts are bottomless. He's going to do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it, with whatever money he wants to do it with. But he wants your heart. And so oftentimes we put our safety, our long-term hope in a retirement account. That could be here right now, and when the war expands, gone tomorrow. Or another pandemic hits, and everything crashes. That's right. All that stuff that you've been secure in could be gone in an instant. Because what God says is the only true security can be found in him. 
So don't put your trust, don't put your hope, don't put your future in your bank accounts and your retirements and in your investments. Put your hope and your security and your eternity in the one who will never, ever let you down and will never, ever let you go. Time, talents, and treasures. All amazing things that God has given to us graciously and mercifully. We don't earn it. There's nothing we've done to merit that kind of amazing gifts of grace. But that's the God that we serve. He's a God who loves you, who cares about you, who has provided for you, and will continue to provide for you. He will never let you go. And he will never let you down. If you're here today and you're wondering about God, you're searching out spirituality, if you've heard nothing else I've said today, hear this. God loves you. He knows your name. He knows your parents' name, your grandparents' name. It says before time began, God chose you. And he set aside good things for you to do. Will you respond to him? Will you put your trust in that perfect life that he lived, knowing that we've fallen way short of that? And will you put your trust and security in the eternity that he promises because he defeated sin and death on the cross when he rose the third day? He invites you into relationship with him because he said himself, all sins, all blasphemes will be forgiven. For those who just turn to Christ and put their trust in him by grace, through faith, in Christ alone are we saved. Will you trust him? If you will, pray with me right now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for those who you are moving on their hearts even right now. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who lived the perfect life that, that we fail over and over to do. But then he died on the cross, a sinner's death. And that was the death that we deserve, Father. So we thank you for that gift. We thank you for that substitution that he was for us, that he incurred your wrath. And Father, we thank you that on the third day, that we will celebrate Easter coming up. We thank you that he rose again, defeating death and sin. And now, by grace, through faith in him alone, are we saved. So we put our trust, our faith in him. And we thank you for the grace to do that, Father. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And we thank you that we have eternal security in you. Come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing our closing song this morning. I just want to remind everybody we're going to be at the new building from 12 to 1.30. We'd love to see you out there. I'd love for you guys to get to see the new building. So let's uh, continue in worship today.